Hello, Melissa. Hello, Kyle. How are you doing today? I am fabulous. How are you? I'm great. You know, I think we're, we're looking down the last month of the year and over here in podcast land, we've been very, very busy little elves. (laughs) trying to put together the last few episodes for the year. Um, We've done a lot of recording. And so we've got a lot of fun things on our plates for the next couple of weeks. Um, But I'm excited about the guests that we have on the podcast today. Um, it's, It's a pretty special thing. I think this is one of my favorite interviews that we get to do every year is with our club executive of the year. Absolutely. You know, it's it's always really awesome to talk with these folks about their experience in our industry, their life story, how they got to do it, you know, and, and take that perspective and share it with our listeners. Um, and so we're thrilled to be talking to our 2022 Club Executive of the Year, Brett Morris. Yeah. Um, made the official announcement last month in November. Um, and he, if you don't know about Brett, just a couple he notes he's been a 22-year CMA member, and he's currently the general manager and chief operating officer at the club at Admirals Cove down in beautiful Jupiter, Florida. He has more than 32 years of experience in the club industry and a variety of roles, and you'll hear all about that in our interview. Yeah, so if you're not familiar with the Club Executive of the Year Award, you've come to the right place because <laughs> we have perhaps the foremost expert on the award with us in one Melissa, Miss Melissa Lowe. Um, but we want to give you a quick rundown of what the Club Executive of the Year Award means, entails, etc. Um, this is awarded annually by Club Management Magazine. Uh, we recognize the outstanding professionalism and club leadership uh, present within our our industry, and that individual is recognized with the Club Executive. Club Executive of the Year Award. It's really hard to say fast. I'm sorry. It is. (laughs) (laughs) The award was created in 1985 and was originally known as the Club Manager of the Year. Uh, We retitled the award in 2008 to mirror the evolution of the profession. So obviously Club Manager is is pretty narrow in scope, but Club Executive kind of covers the the broad spectrum of responsibilities and um, skills and abilities of of our leaders in this industry. Uh, This prestigious honor is presented to a club management professional who embodies professionalism within their club and community, um, embraces mentoring, creates a supportive club culture, and impacts their local CMA chapter through sustained engagement. So it's, you know, multifaceted. We're really looking at people who are doing a little bit of everything um, and not just, you know, leading their club in the best way, but, but really reaching out and doing a little bit more with their job. Uh, We accept nominations for this award in early fall, and then a diverse committee of club management professionals makes up the selection committee and judges all of those those, um, nominations and chooses the person who's risen to the top. So as Melissa said, we're really thrilled today to be joined by Brett Morris. Um, He has a great story. I think a lot of things that he had to share with us were really poignant and very fitting with a lot of the same um, things we've been talking about a lot over the last year and a half, uh, especially as it regards to work-life balance. We had a really good conversation around that in this episode. So Without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with the 2022 Club Executive of the Year, Brett Morris. 
Absolutely. Well, we are so excited, Brett, to have you here with us today, and congratulations. Um, so tell, tell our listeners, how are you? How's your fall been? So I guess my fall's been really busy because uh, we've got two major projects going on here at the club. You know, one is a, uh, we've been working on since last April, a $4 million kitchen renovation to our busiest restaurant here at the club, which we're getting ready to launch this week, and a about three and a half to $4 million golf training center. So between trying to finish these projects up and taking on 200 internationals and getting them trained and having our membership back, it's been, uh, it's been a busy fall for us getting ready for season. So uh, we're excited. I, I think uh, we've got a lot of new things on the plate this year and always trying to keep things fresh for our members. Uh, we're really excited to launch these things. Oh, that's amazing. That sounds really exciting. Um, we're going to take it back a little bit. And since, you know, you have the honor this year of being named club executive of the year, um, we want to start and, and get a little, get to know you a little bit better. Can you talk to us about what your first job in the club industry was and kind of like, how did you, how did you find your way into clubs? Yeah. So actually I got into the club industry by accident. Um, I was working for a company and so I started in, in the hospitality industry, actually in the back of the house as a chef went to the Culinary Institute of America, and I started working um, for, uh, where did I work in the beginning? I think I worked for a company called Arc Restaurants in New York City, because so I wanted to get experience in, in restaurants, and I worked for them for a short time, and then I worked for Restaurant Associates, and I was working as an executive sous chef at Rockefeller Center, you know, they have the ice skating ring, yeah. so I ran Savory's, American Festival Cafe, and the Sea Grill, three restaurants I was the executive sous chef of. And I did that for about a year and realized I really didn't have a lot uh, when it came to managing kitchens and back of the house operations. And at the time, there was a big company out there called Gilbert Robinson. They owned Hands, which is okay. a really hot concept in the early, late 80s, early 90s. And they really did it right as far as managing front of the house restaurants operations so i went to go work for them as a chef an executive sous chef and about a year into it i got a call from a recruiter and he said hey uh i got a club in greenwich connecticut that's looking for an executive chef you interested i said sure i knew nothing about clubs nor did i even know how to be an executive chef <laughs> so i interviewed uh for the job it was at the millbrook club in Greenwich, mm -hmm. Connecticut, it was all nine hole golf course and got the job. Had no experience in how to order food, write menus, or anything. <laughs> I said, hey, what's the worst that could happen? I could fall on my face, lose my job and uh, start all over again. So I accepted the position, worked there for about five years. And that's kind of how I got my start in the club industry. And I think it was like 1990. Wow. So many, many moons ago. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You're it's not, and I think that's really like very relatable too, because I know that there are a lot of folks in our industry who tripped and fell into clubs or came at it from a different, you know, different angle. You know, not everybody studied club management and hospitality in school. You know, there's so many ways to, to get into this industry and find success with your own, you know, skills and background. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that for me, getting into the club industry and then after being there for five years, 
I kind of felt like a big fish in a small pond. It's okay. Mm -hmm. I want to get, I want to, um, you know, look at a bigger club. So a job came over at a place called, or came up uh, from a place called Waikigil Country Club in New Rochelle. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed for the job. I got down to the finalists. And for some reason, I just didn't really connect well with the chair of the committee. Mm -hmm. And the general manager, who's still a friend of mine today, Ken Coral, um, said to me, all right, Brett, you're a finalist for the job. We want to start calling your um, references. So I said, you know, Ken, I really, I just don't really feel comfortable right now. I don't feel like I connected with the chair of the committee. So I really want you to withdraw my name from the, from the search. And he talked me into continuing down the process. And had he not done that, my career could have been very different. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting the job. And two years later, Ken resigned as general manager. And he came down to my office and he said, Brett, members love you. You know, you really ought to consider going for the GM job. And I thought about it and I said, you know, it's a great opportunity. Let me talk to the president of the club. So I did. And what they did was they disbanded the GM role at the club. They promoted me to director of food and beverage and club operations. They promoted the controller of the club to director of finance and administration. And they promoted the golf course superintendent to director of sports and facilities. Interesting. And it, yeah, it kind of worked that way for about a year. And I think they realized after a year, you know, there needed to be kind of somebody at the top making, mm -hmm. you know, the decisions because, you know, I was a spender of the group, you know, the CFO would always be like, you're spending too much money. Mm -hmm. And he the, the board kind of realized there needed to be a GM. So after about a year, they promoted me to GM. And that's kind of how I started my career, you know, as a general manager, chief operating officer. But had I not accepted the executive chef role at that club, my career could have taken a very different path. So it's interesting how life works. Absolutely. Well, I also think that that speaks very highly, too, of kind of the importance of that that mentorship and those relationships and networking within our industry too. I mean, you, you spoke about the, the GM there and how that connection and uh, camaraderie kind of helped convince you to take that path. I think that's really incredible. I, I will tell you today that I still give Ken a lot of credit for kind of where I am today in my, you know, in, in my career, because I had that not happened and had he not convinced me to continue down the road, I think my career could have taken a different path. So I am really appreciative to everything he's he's kind of done for me. Absolutely. And I know yeah. you're not alone in that sentiment either. I know there are so many so many managers that have similar stories like that. You know, where we yeah. where they owe their success or decision making help to to somebody else who helped them along the way and I think that's just a wonderful aspect. Yeah. So, Brett, can you tell us a little bit about how you made your way from the, the darkness, rainy, cold northeast down to sunny Florida? <laughs> so I did my externship at the Lake Buena Vista Palace in Disney World when I was at the Culinary Institute. And that was like in 1987. 
long time ago. And I just loved Florida. I really found a love for it. And it's funny, my cousin who's lived in Tampa his whole entire life used to say to me, when are you finally moving here? And it just, my career path never kind of took me there, but I'd, I had always wanted my, you know, to kind of migrate here to South Florida. So when I was at Fresh Meadow Country Club as general manager, um, five years into my role there, a position opened up at the Polo Club. So I interviewed for the job and somebody told me a long time ago, it never gets better than the interview. They're trying to kind of impress you, you're trying to impress them. So I interviewed for the job and it was probably the worst interview I was ever on in my entire career. I just felt that the board wasn't connected. I didn't connect with the board. And I literally left that interview and said, oh my God, you couldn't pay me all the money in the world to manage this club. There's no way. And I went back to New York and I literally practically kissed the sign at Fresh Meadow because they were like such great people. If there ever was kind of the perfect job for a GM, that was like my perfect job, connecting with them. They loved me. They, they loved my family and they treated me like family. They never treated me like an employee. So it didn't work out. Now, fast forward five years later, I get a call from the president of the Polo Club. The board had changed over, new president. And he said, I know you interviewed here five years ago. We'd really like to talk to you again. And I was like, thank you very much, not interested. And he said to me, Fred, things are completely different here. We'd really like to have a conversation. I went, met with the board. Kurt Keebler was involved with the search and um, everything connected. So interesting, like five years before, I was like, you couldn't have paid me anything to run that club. Now governance changes and everything kind of clicked. And that's how I migrated and moved my family to South Florida in 2012. And it was, it was difficult for me because after working at a club for 10 years that I really truly loved the members, when I resigned and I went to my last board meeting, they had all the previous presidents that I had worked with at Fresh Meadow come to the board meeting to thank me for everything I had done for the club. And I don't think I realized how emotional I was going to be. You know, there were a lot of board members there and I literally broke down in front of 30 people and cried and thanked them for the impact they had made on my life because it really was an amazing run to be at a club. And I could have probably stayed there my entire career. I just didn't feel challenged and felt like my heart was pulling me towards um, South Florida. So that's kind of why, how I migrated um, to the Polo Club in 2012. I mean, I can't blame you for wanting to, to go somewhere warmer, certainly. <laughs> well, you know what? I also had a love for boating and the water and all that stuff. So for me, you know, it was kind of like, I felt like it was the next step in my mm -hmm. career um, to really work at a big operation. And look, the Polo Club, I went from a club that had 400 members to a club that had 3,000 members. Wow. So it was a huge transition to move from a smaller club to you know such a large operation, where not only was I managing the club, but I was always also managing the Property Owners Association, which I had never done before. 
what was that like? What was that transition like to kind of getting your arms around going from a small, relatively small operation to something so big? What was that like? Yeah, you know, for me, that was all about, um, you know, obviously trying to get to know the members, trying to get to know the operation, but also surrounding yourself with a strong team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I had taken the job, one of the things the president said to me was, hey, Brett, we really kind of need to rebuild the organization. And I said, fine, but I didn't realize kind of what I was getting myself into at the time and the hours that I needed to put into, you know, to rebuild a $50 million operation. So I went from like a $12 million, not even maybe a $10 million operation to a $50 million operation. And, you know, when you think of, you know, maybe I had at Fresh Meadow, I had 150 employees in the peak of the season to an operation that had 600 employees. You know, it was it was a big transition for me. And, you know, when you talk about mentorship, I had two good mentors there, my president at the time and the incoming president, who really kind of helped me get through a lot of dark days in just trying to build, you know, a, a new culture. You know, and when you're when you're trying to build a culture at an operation like that, it, it wasn't easy. But, um, you know, we were able to do it just by working together and just, you know, kind of taking steps along the way to continue to rebuild things. Absolutely. And that actually leads really well into the next question that we wanted to cover, which actually is about mentoring. You know, we talked a little bit about um, that with Ken. Um, and now you just mentioned it again. Do you want to share a little bit more about the mentors in your career and in your life that have kind of helped you along the way? I know in this industry, it's hard not to have mentors because of the nature of things. But um, can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. I think, look, Ken was Ken was a big influence when I first met him and, you know, helping me along the way. But I've had like, you know, plenty, a lot of presidents that I've worked with. You know, one in particular at Fresh Meadow, a guy by the name of Mark Klasker, who was a huge influence in my career. And a lot of these mentors are guys that have run very successful businesses. You know, the club business, you know, even though most of us run not-for-profits, we're 501c7s, you know, we're still running a business. And these are big operations, and, you know, you have to run it like a business. But, you know, Mark was a big influence of mine. Uh, Stanley Goldberg who was one of my past presidents at, at uh, the Polo Club and, and my current president here at Admiral's Cove, um, Joe McCart, have been big influences in my life and just trying to push me along and challenge me. And, you know, look, we all make mistakes and trust me, you know, I love to speak at CMAA and I, I talk about my successes, but I also talk a lot about my failures because I think, you know, those failures that I've had along the way have really helped mold me as a professional. And look, I never thought I'd be where I am today, you know, in the club industry and, you know, talking to thousands of people that I speak to a year between conference and BMIs and, you know, all the different things that I do for, you know, to help give back. And, um, and that's why I think for me, where I, I am in my career, mentoring kind of the next generation of GM, club managers, food and beverage directors is really important, really important to who I am as a professional and giving back. 
We t uh, haven't talked about challenges yes, yet, but I know that we have been in a very challenging period for the last three years in, uh, globally. And so what are the biggest things that you're seeing, the biggest challenges for clubs and the industry today as we move forward into 2023? And what would you say to your mentees about how to best prepare for those challenges? You know, I, I think that for me, you know, staying relevant is extremely important. And when I mean staying relevant, I mean, you know, not keeping things the same at your clubs. A lot of club managers I speak to is, you know, they talk about, well, you know, my grow room has been the same way. The members love it. And, you know, I could never change it. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think change is good. I think keeping things fresh and new and keeping yourself kind of, you know, educated and always pushing yourself to kind of be better um, is extremely important in our industry. I think boards are looking for leaders. They're not looking for a general manager that's just going to sit there in the board meeting and not say anything. And I think as a GM, you got to kind of know when to talk and when not to talk and listen at board meetings. Um, I think boards are looking for people that are progressive, people that are going to um, listen to the membership and not just react emotionally, but also react with, you know, looking at data and looking at, you know, how you can continually move the club forward. I mean, there's a lot of competition out there for clubs. And I think that, um, you know, staying relevant and, you know, members don't want the same old, same old. They want their club to be the dining destination of choice where they can go and feel comfortable and that the staff knows them and that they don't have to wait for an hour for a table in a restaurant. And that goes for chefs as well. I mean, you know, long gone are the days where a chef's just a cook. You know, when I, we just hired our executive chef um, about six or eight months ago and I was looking for a leader. I was looking for a really good communicator. I was looking for a guy that was creative, somebody that was kind of cutting edge. I wasn't looking for just a great cook. In fact, you know, we, our food and beverage operation here is big. We've got, um, you know, seven or eight different outlets that where we serve food. I don't want my chef cooking. I just don't. You know, he's got to be kind of the orchestra leader in making sure that He's setting the culture that his standards are in place and that his chefs are pulling off um, what he's looking out for um, as far as top quality food and beverage. But it, it, it kind of goes beyond the kitchen because I think food and beverage operations at clubs are really kind of lightning rods. It's like, you know, when I speak to Kurt, you know, Kurt and I are good friends and I speak to him and I talk to him about kind of what your biggest challenges are. And he's like food and beverage at every club. It's the one thing that members, it's like a lightning rod at clubs for some reason. You know, golf is always good and tennis is always good, but, you know, food and beverage is, you know, the kind of the toughest animal to get your arms around. But, you know, I also look at, hey, you know, our golf operation, members are looking for technology. Um, they want to up their game and they want to be better golfers. And so that's why we're building a close to $4 million um, golf performance center and we hired a an instructor a head of instruction for golf and you know but it's also going to be you know not only just for instruction it's going to be for interactive use as well 
you know, you can play Augusta National virtually or some of the top golf clubs and we can use it for an entertainment venue and it's got a bar and it's got a lounge in it. So it's kind of like top golf, virtual golf, golf instruction. And I think that's kind of where golf is migrating to. You know, if you make it fun for people, people that are intimidated by the game will then migrate out onto the golf course. So, and, and we do that with tennis as well. How can we, you know, offer better instruction and keep tennis more fun? And pickleball is huge now. You know, we're installing more pickleball courts at the club. So this is all kind of part and paramount to how do you kind of take your club to the next level? And, you know, when you talk about challenges, you know, COVID obviously was a huge deal for us. And clubs that were creative, managers that just didn't sit around and wait for their boards to tell them what to do and were progressive, those clubs kind of, you know, did well during the pandemic. The clubs that kind of just sat around and closed or whatever um, and, you know, didn't think outside the box, those clubs, unfortunately, are just not doing so well, which is a shame. But, you know, taking care of your staff is a big deal. Work-life balance is a huge deal in the industry that I talk about a lot because I failed miserably at it. I did it. And I work hard now to try and be as productive as I can, can at work, but also take my days off, which, you know, something that a lot of GMs don't do. And, you know, Jason and I talk a lot and, you know, when he talks about conference with me, because I love going to conference every year. That's like my big thing. I love networking. I love speaking at conference. I love meeting people. But when you meet people at conference, what's the one thing people say? When I say, hey, how you doing? The club is great. We're serving more meals than we've ever served. I'm like, that's yeah, not that's what not I asked. <laughs> I asked, how are you yeah. doing? How's your family? How's <laughs> life? You know, and I think as professionals, we all kind of talk about mm -hmm. the club and how busy it is and how much volume we're doing. That's all well and good. I try and talk about you as an individual and how are, how are you doing? Because it's important to me. So, you know, I think we all need to, to kind of take a step back and yeah, business is great. Club is great. Revenue is great. But talk about us as individuals a little bit and get to know each other a little bit more. Absolutely. I mean, we've we've actually talked about that in varying degrees on the podcast over the last year, because I think, you know, as we've come through COVID, we've all sort of been able to kind of reevaluate what's important to us um, in terms of like, what are we willing to accept um, in our lives, whether that's in the workplace or in our personal lives, but like, what, what are we willing to accept and, and what are we willing to say, nope, that's a hard boundary for me. And I would so much rather spend, you know, these two hours with my family or, you know, at home doing something for me instead of, you know, just working more for the sake of being at work. Um, yeah, I think, you know, that's, that's an incredibly important lesson. I think a lot of us have learned, not everyone, <laughs> but yeah. I think that, you know, we just did a kickoff meeting for all of our directors, you know, for the season. And we usually do it every year. Mm -hmm. And we did a big bar I did a barbecue for them out on the back lawn at the club. And we put tents up and uh, we had the kitchen prepare a really nice meal. And I set the parameters of the meeting. And I said, so the parameters of the meeting 
are not to talk about work <laughs> at all. It's off, off limits. In fact, you can't talk about work or your department. All I want you to talk about is family and, you know, kind of yourself and what you like to do and for all of us to get to know each other better. And I got to tell you, it was kind of enlightening, you know, listening to the comments after the meeting about what different people learned about yeah. their different department heads and people that they work with all the time that they never knew. Absolutely. And for me, that was really important for us to kind of bond as a group before we kind of got into a crazy busy season where everybody's running in different directions because everybody's got different priorities, you know, mm -hmm. when season's rolling on. Absolutely. You know? I mean, it's so important to remember that we're people first, right? Like we, yeah. we do a job, yes, but we are also whole human beings with with lives and interests and hobbies and you know, whatever, insert thing here, like, but we're whole people and we do so much more with our lives than just, you know, what we can accomplish in an eight hour, eight, nine, 10 hour day. Yeah, so, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So that, that's amazing. I love, I love that idea. We actually, Melissa and I, and uh, our other team member had a lunch last week and our rule was we're, we're going out to lunch together, but we're not going to talk about work. <laughs> we're just yeah. talk about fun oh, stuff. Yeah, work is such a big part of life, and, 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 and it is. It's been a huge part of my life. Mm -hmm. And But, you know, for me, where I am in my career, it's like, you know, how can I, you know, talk to people about kind of what I've, the mistakes that I've made to help people, you know, kind of move forward. And, and I talk about family because, look, you know, another thing I talk about when I talk about work-life balance is that one of my biggest failures is, you know, I never postponed meetings to like if there was a special event and my daughter had a school event one day and I had a finance meeting that day and I could have easily probably moved the finance committee meeting to make sure I was at her event. And I said to my wife, listen, I'll be at Zoe's event, but I'm going to have to leave in the middle of it. And my wife is so used to me doing that that she was like, all right, whatever, no problem. So it was like an event at her school and I went. And it was some sort of play. And I got up in the middle of the play and I left to go to this meeting. And I got a phone call from her teacher on the way to the meeting. And I said, hey, what's going on? And she said, you need to come back. And I said, what do you mean I need to come back? She said, your daughter is inconsolable. And when I tell you heartbreaking, yeah. like I didn't realize the impact that I had on my daughter. Now my daughter's 21 and she'll still say to me, dad, you were not there for my soccer games, my plays. And, you know, and that's a tough pill to swallow. And I gave that stuff up because I kind of put work first. And obviously work is really important, mm -hmm. but family is first. Family's always first because they're always going to be there for you. Absolutely. I think that's really, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a sad way to have to learn that lesson, but it's such an important yeah. reminder for all of us that what we do, you know, in our offices day to day is important. But at the end of the day, the people you go home to <laughs> also matter so much. And actually, yeah. that was going to be my next question to you was, you know, what is this the most meaningful professional lesson you've learned? And I honestly, I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but it seems like this concept of finding a work-life balance that works for you has probably been one of the most professional lessons you've learned, I think. Maybe. Is that right? 
I think work-life balance, I think giving back, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I wish I'd started earlier in my career. You know, I think one of the, one of the big things that, you know, I've come to realize is for me in men- mentoring and, and helping people for me, giving back that to people yeah. to say, Hey, if you come work with me, not for me, with me, <laughs> yep. cause you don't work for me, you work with me. We're a team and we all work together. You know, I'm going to try and help you with your career. And when I, interesting story, when I got to the polo club, I was interviewing for chefs. I had hired an, an assistant GM. I needed to hire a chef. And one of the chefs I interviewed was a guy by the name of Ryan Artem. And when, when I was interviewing with them, I always say to him, like at the end of an interview, why you, yeah. why are you the right person for this job? And you know, he talked a lot about, you know, his passion for creativity and leadership and all different things. But at the end of the interview, I said to him, where do you want to be in five years? And he looked me straight in the face and he goes, I want your job. I said, really? He says, that's where I want to be in five years. I said, okay. You know, it was great. He was open and honest and he left. Unfortunately, he didn't get the job. Great guy though. And then two days before my assistant GM was supposed to start at the polo club, he called me up and he said to me, Hey Brett, the last club I worked at is looking for a GM and they offered me the GM job. So I'm not going to be able to take the assistant GM job at your club. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is really bad, you yeah. know? And what am I going to do? I called Kurt Keebler up because Kurt was helping with the chef search. And I said, you remember that guy, Ryan Artem that we interviewed as for the chef job? He says, yeah. I said, what do you think about him for the assistant GM job? Ryan had never worked out of the kitchen. He was always a chef. And he said, you know, Brett, that's a pretty good, good idea. So I sat down with Ryan and I pitched the idea to him. And you know what? I said to him, if you work with me, I will and you give me five years of your career. I will help you become a general manager. And almost five years to the day, he accepted his GM position. And I was so proud of him and I was so happy for him, you know, because he committed, he stuck by his commitment with me and I helped move him along. And that, that made me really, really happy and proud. I love that. I think that's yeah. like, you, you really hit some really good points of mentorship and, and work-life balance, which I mean, like I said before, Melissa and I have talked about both of those things on this podcast a lot in the last year, year and a half, because you know, they're, it's, it's bubbling up and becoming so important for everyone. Um, yeah, I think also, everyone is seeing the value of both of those things. Yeah, and I, absolutely. And I think it's also promoting from within. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, succession planning and helping some of our frontline staff become managers and food and beverage directors and helping them along as well. Because, you know, as an employee, you want to see there's upward mobility in, in your you know, organization, you don't want to be a server for the rest of your life or, you know, an assistant green superintendent for the rest of your life. You want to know that there is upward mobility in the organization. And that helps us as, you know, as as a business as well grow. I love that. And I think that that question about where you making sure you're asking where you where people want to be is so important. So thinking back to when you started in this industry, is there 
advice that you wish you had get, known then? Um, you know, I, I think the, the best advice I could give someone, you know, um, education, extremely important. Um, attending these BMIs that you guys do for CMAA are huge. Um, networking is extremely important in our industry, getting to know fellow professionals, because first of all, you never know who you're going to meet. Um, attending these conferences are huge. Um, I wish I had started earlier in my career, um, joining CMAA, attending conferences, um, giving back to the community, um, something that we did started here maybe about seven or eight months ago, we started a culture club within our directors. And it's been, it's been a huge impact on me. Um, helping underprivileged kids and, you know, people that need food. And, you know, I live, we live in Palm Beach County and I didn't realize, maybe my head was buried in the sand or whatever, but I didn't realize that there's over 250,000 people in Palm Beach County that either can't afford school, can't afford school supplies, can't afford food. Um, and you know, this is one of the wealthiest counties in the country. Um, and our culture club, our group of directors has given back where we either help pack backpacks. And it was really amazing because, you know, think about how important it is to show up on your first day of school and you don't have school supplies because you can't afford them. And that was a huge, huge impact for me. And what we did was we went to this organization and we set up three or four teams. One team, all they did was write notes. You got this. Have a great school year. Congratulations. And you put it in the backpack. Another group packed all the backpack supplies and another group put the backpacks in all the different containers to be shipped to all the kids that need it. You know, going to help the hungry. Um, going to food banks and things like that. It, it's been it's been a big deal for me because, you know, we talk about what we do for our clubs, but what's equally as important is what we do for our community as well, because you want your club to be known. It's not only a club that is obviously it's a wealthy club and, you know, it's for the one percenters, but what are you doing to help the people that are less fortunate? And that's brought our, our, our group together tremendously here. So it's it's giving back. Um, it's being a good listener, you know, a lot of things, you know, listening is a skill, you know, and how do you impact all of the people that work for your organization with your organization, because they're all looking at what you're doing as a leader. If you think they're not watching you, they are all watching you. And, you know, how can you help these people when they need help? Because they all have stuff going on in the outside world before they show up at work and how are you helping those people, you know, be better at what they do, whether it be inside your organization or outside your organization. These are all big things as leaders that I wish I had known back then that I've come to know now. Um, and it helps you grow as a professional as well. Absolutely. I love that. And I think, I think you're, you're hitting on so many good themes. <laughs> um, well, that kind of brings us to the end of our conversation, but we want to know, Brett, what is next for you and uh, what are you most looking forward to in 2023? You know, I think for me, 2023 is just to try and obviously continue to give back, continue to make our club better, continue to be a better father, husband, parent, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and work on myself a little bit more. Um, I could easily say, oh, we could do great things at the club. Yeah. And, and again, club is important. Um, job is important, giving back to the membership. But for me, it's to help people along and just to become a better person and a better leader um, and just continue to get back to CMAA because I love CMAA. It's been really good to me. And I said to you this before, I never thought I'd ever be where I am in my career. And I'm thankful for everybody and everyone that's kind of helped me along the way, you know, and challenged me to be better, a uh, better person and a better leader. So uh, love that. That's great. You know, I think that's a that's a mindset we should all carry with us into the next year. Just try yeah. to be a better person <laughs> in, in whatever yeah. aspect of our lives. Right. Like yeah. keep keep working on ourselves and, and growing yeah. and finding yeah, opportunities to learn. Yeah. Be more positive. Yeah. Uh, just look at look at things. You know, I always tell the team we got it. We got to continue to push forward and look at the glass half full, not half empty. I know it's a, it's a trite saying. But it's, it's really the truth, you know, with all the stuff that goes on at clubs and, you know, dealing with people every single day, you know, sometimes it gets you down a little bit. But it's really <laughs> to continue focusing, you know, on what the end game is. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's wonderful. Brett, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing with us a little bit more about yourself and your your journey through clubs and and what you've learned. Um, we're really proud to be able to honor you with the Club Executive of the Year Award. Um, we look forward to getting to share more about you in the upcoming edition of the magazine and sharing this podcast with our listeners. Um, I think it's a well-deserved award this year, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at conference in just a few months. I'm excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks. Great. Thanks very much. That was a great conversation with Brett. Like I said, I think there were a lot of really great takeaways. Um, I learned a lot from speaking with him. I don't know about you, Melissa, but I thought that was a great conversation. Absolutely. All right. So we have a few CMAA announcements that we want to cover before we wrap up today. First and foremost, um, we've talked about World Conference a lot. We talked about it a lot with Brett. We talked about it a lot on the last several episodes. Um, but so as many of you know, World Conference registration has been open for a while. Um, that being said, the early registration deadline is approaching. At the time that this podcast goes live, we're going to be sitting almost right on top of it. Um, the early bird registration deadline is December 15th. So make sure that you take advantage of the early bird pricing um, and get those best rates while you can. Prices will increase after December 15th. If you head over to cmaa.org conference, you can learn more about the event and take care of your registration today. That's December 15th. So don't snooze or you will lose. Absolutely. And we also wanted to share a great opportunity in connection with conference uh, to preview uh, the site of the Club Foundation Golf Tournament. If you haven't heard, the golf tournament will be Thursday, February 23rd, 2023 at the beautiful Ritz-Carlton Golf Club in Orlando, Florida. And that starts, starts around 1130 that morning. Um, it's a beautiful course designed by Greg Norman, and it really does honor the gorgeous Central Florida landscape. Um, and this 18-hole championship course will host the upcoming 2022 PNC Championship, which is 
as this episode airs, will be the week of the PNC Championship. If you're not familiar with that, that is the um, beautiful event where you'll get a chance to see 20 major champion teams team up with a member of their family and play the game they truly love, which is a very special event. So make sure you tune into the PNC Championship so you can get a preview of the experience you'll have at the Club Foundation Golf Tournament. So it's a great opportunity while you're on our conference website to sign up for that tournament and golf for a good cause. Absolutely. We've got a lot of fun things planned in conjunction with World Conference, and we'll be covering a lot more of those in the next several episodes over the next few weeks. Um, but until then, we have these busy elves have more work to do. <laughs> so we're going to sign off for today. Um, but until then, I'm Kyle. That's Melissa. Thank you so much for listening to Let's Talk Club Management, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Take care, friends. The Let's Talk Club Management podcast is a podcast of the Club Management Association of America. Since 1927, CMAA has been the largest professional association for managers of membership clubs throughout the U.S. and internationally. The objectives of the association are to promote relationships between club management professionals and other similar professions, to encourage the education and advancement of members, and to provide the resources needed for efficient and successful club operations. Under the covenants of professionalism, education, leadership, and community, CMAA continues to extend its reach as the leader in the club management practice. CMAA is headquartered in Alexandria, Virginia, with more than 40 professional chapters and more than 40 student chapters and colonies. Please learn more at www.cmaa.org. Dot org.